Good morning, everybody. The school holidays now, can't you? We are a little less packed than we have been. So if anybody would like to come higher, please feel free. But uh, I won't insist on it. Just wait a moment for folks to get a seat. Some words from the letter to the church at Corinth, from the worldwide English translation. I'm free to do anything I want, but some things are not good for me to do. I'm free to do anything, but I will not become the slave of anything. On this 4th of July, American Independence Day, we meet to celebrate and worship the God who gives us freedom. And now let's come to God with our prayer to pray in thanksgiving and our prayers of confession. Let's pray together. God, our creator, father and friend, we give thanks for the wonderful gift of life with all joys and responsibilities, its experiences and opportunities. We praise you for our health and daily food, for the shelter and care of our homes, for the love and loyalty of our friends. We bless you for work honestly done, for games well played, for all the truth we have learned and all the good we have been able to achieve. We thank you for the teaching and example of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness and salvation we have received through him, for his presence with us always and for the service into which he has called us. Help us to express our thanks not only in our praises and prayers, but also through the lives we lead. Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. The sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we've got used to them. We confess our sins as a church. We have not loved one another as Christ loved us. We have not given ourselves in love and service for the world as Christ gave himself for us. Send the Holy Spirit to us that we may be given power to live as, by your mercy, you have called us to live. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We read today from Psalm 119, verse 41 to 48. It's on page 602 of the Old Testament. Trusting the law of the Lord. Show me how much you love me, Lord, and save me according to your promise. 
Then I can answer those who insult me because I trust in your word. Enable me to speak the truth at all times because my hope is in your judgments. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will live in perfect freedom because I try to obey your teachings. I will announce your commands to kings and I will not be ashamed. I find pleasure in obeying your commands because I love them. I respect and love your commandments. I will meditate on your instructions. And the New Testament reading is from John chapter 8, verse 31, and it's on page 129 of the New Testament. So Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you obey my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are the descendants of Abraham, they answered, and we have never been anybody's slaves. What do you mean then by saying you will be free? Jesus said to them, I'm telling you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave does not belong to a family permanently, but a son belongs there forever. If the son sets you free, then you will be really free. Amen. This is God's word. have to confess the logic for choosing the title for today's service was very unsophisticated. I had an odd week between one theme and the next theme, so what was I going to do? And then I realised it was the 4th of July, which is American Independence Day, so that was about as good as it got for thinking which theme. So there you go. It's not always deeply spiritual why we do what we do. But having decided that, a couple of verses in the Bible sprang into my mind. Firstly, there was the first from 1 Corinthians I used as a call to worship, and also John 8, 36, which we have literally just heard. And there are lots of ways you could go with thinking about freedom. Themes like freedom and responsibility. Or freedom of spirit, despite adversity of conditions, came to mind. Both of those would be quite good things to think about. And then there's that thorny topic about autonomy and interdependence amongst Baptist congregations. Should I go down that line and do another occasional thing about Baptist identity? Well, I've been thinking a little bit since I came up with the title, but I was really struck last Sunday afternoon when I came to the Philosophy Cafe with what Brian Taylor was saying, and I found a sort of resonance between some of what he was saying And what I felt maybe God was saying to me about where we should go. Brian's talk was very wide-ranging. It was very entertaining. It was very informative. But one of the things that struck me in what he said was about the complexity of the task that our elected representatives face in government. And he used the example of healthcare provision, and maybe that kind of resonated with me a bit more than it might otherwise at the moment. 
He illustrated it by saying to people, well, what would happen if you asked people what kind of healthcare provision they liked? Suppose you said to them, would you rather have lots of cottage hospitals, walking distance from home, friendly staff, comparatively pleasant as hospitals go, or would you rather have a regional centre of excellence that's got all the best trained people, all the best equipment, and they can do anything that you need? And if you said to people, which would you like? They'd probably say, well, we'd like all the expertise of the centre of excellence and the friendliness of the cottage hospital, and we'd like it at the end of Byers Road, please. What people think they want, what we would like, and what can be achieved, very often are not the same. To almost every question you can think of, there is an easy answer. But the easy answers are nearly always wrong, aren't they? And it seems to me the same is true when we come to think about independence and freedom. I actually discovered when I was typing, I used the thesaurus tool on my computer, and it says independence means freedom and freedom means independence. I don't think they actually do mean quite the same thing, but they get used interchangeably a lot in everyday speech. So I checked out my electronic Bible in several different translations, and that was quite interesting. The word freedom or liberty is used quite a lot in the Bible in a very positive sense. Very little reference to independence, only one or two translations that use that word, and they kind of use it as something negative. It's talking about independence as a kind of autonomy, a kind of I'm the most important thing or we're the most important people in the world. It's willful, it's self-centered, it's arrogant, and it doesn't seem in the way it's used in the Bible to recognize the needs, the desires, or the rights of others. So is independence a good thing or a bad thing? Is it the same as freedom? Talking about freedom is a bit like last week when I was talking about abundant life. It's sometimes easy to say what it's not than what it is. Freedom is not the same as license. That is to say, it doesn't mean that we can do anything we like. It's not good enough to just say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Actually, how do we know we're not hurting anybody? Freedom is not that selfish. It just says, well, I can do what I like. That verse with which we began the service from 1 Corinthians lies at the heart of one of the least understood and most abused passages, I think, in Scripture. There's a nice ambiguous Greek word in the middle of that passage that people use and abuse to build cases for and against certain kinds of sexual practice. And people get so hung up on that word and what it means that they miss everything around it which is about attitudes and actions that people who think that they're sexually pure might actually have, like, you know, being um, angry and bitter and selfish and, and those kind of things. Those are not seen as good by the apostle. 
I am allowed to do anything, says the Apostle, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is a good choice to make. Liberty and freedom carries with it responsibility. Now, that's not rocket science. You didn't need me to tell you that. You already know it. But isn't it easy to slip into a life that emphasizes our right, our choices, our desires, even when that's actually bad for other people, bad for the rest of the planet, bad in the long term? The letter to the church at Corinth is written to a church that seems to have lost its way and it's got confused between liberty or freedom and license. People do as they please. That's why there's that great long chunk in the lead up to the communion narrative about the way the people were behaving before communion services. They did as they pleased and when things went wrong, rather than sorting it out amongst themselves, they would take each other to court just seems crazy, doesn't it, that people in church would fall out and take each other to court. But that's what Paul was up about. This church had got people who were so self-centered and so bothered about their personal freedom, that actually that church could have been destroyed. I'm allowed to do anything, says Paul, but I'm not going to allow anything to make me its slave. This licentious behaviour actually doesn't bring freedom. It creates a new kind of slavery as the behaviour controls the people rather than the people choosing how to behave. It's very easy for us to look at other people and think, oh yes, that person, says she pointing at the ceiling in case anyone thinks she's pointing at her, that person has allowed their liberty, their, their freedom to turn into license, and they've become enslaved by something. Actually, sometimes it's good to look at ourselves and think, well, what is it that we struggle with? Is it ambition? Is it material possessions or property? Is it eating too much or too little? Is it, which is with me, has a tendency to workaholism, working too much, too long, too hard? It seems to me that the dis-ease, the disease of contemporary society arises very often from too much independence, too much doing what we want to do, and too little interdependence, which amazingly brings us freedom. So what about what Jesus says in John's Gospel. We only heard a small chunk of a larger passage. But I wonder if you noticed, as I did, what it began with. The people to whom this was addressed were the people who believed in Jesus, the people who thought he was worth listening to and he had something to say. And after Jesus has first spoken about freedom, they say, oh, but we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been anyone's slaves. Really? So what was that funny little exodus in Egypt? Or that funny exile in Babylon? Isn't it amazing how short memories are or how selective? 
people like Jesus so easily forget their own history, forget their own nature, forget how easy it is to fall short of our own best intentions, to put it in Bible churchy language, to sin. What Jesus says is no less strong than what Paul says. Indeed, I'd like to suggest it's stronger because Jesus doesn't describe what he means by sin. He just says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Paul gives a long list of things. Jesus leaves it open. Very easy about seeing sin as what other people do and not about us, our attitudes, our actions. But Jesus says, here is something special. I can give you true freedom. I'm the son, and if the son sets a slave free, they're free. I have one of my strange thoughts this morning that I occasionally do. And I thought about the Old Testament practice with slaves. And when a slave is set free, they have a choice. They can accept that freedom and be free. Or they can say, no, it's fine, I'll stay as a slave. Jesus offers freedom for people, but they have a choice. Because freedom has responsibility. We're free not to a life of selfish indulgence or licentious behaviour, but to become part of a community part of a family, and to live accordingly within that family. So how should we employ the freedom that we have as members of this church, certainly, but also as people who live in a very wealthy Western nation where so much of what we might desire is enshrined in the law anyway? Do we just sit back and enjoy the plenty that we have as people who live in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland? Or do we live as citizens of Christ's kingdom, who have freedom in Christ? One of the tricky aspects of Christian living is the relationship of freedom to our understanding of the law, by which I mean the law of Moses, the law that was understood by Jesus and Paul. Paul is very keen to assert God's grace, which is beyond the law. That is, we are saved by grace, and that's absolutely true. But Jesus, at least in Matthew's gospel, says, I didn't come to overturn the law, I came to fulfill it. So who's right, Jesus or Paul? Or is it actually both of them? We thought a little bit, didn't we, about the need for rules in church. If we didn't have some kind of rules in church, it could be total chaos. Imagine if you were all talking now. Well, well, I'm talking. You might be having a better time, but it would be pretty chaotic. It would be great if we didn't need any rules, if we all instinctively knew how to live together in harmony. But life isn't like that. At the same time, legalism is no good either. Legalism does more harm than good. And we've all experienced it. We've all experienced it in church. We've probably all experienced it in work. We've probably all met that job's worth person in the bank or the shop or wherever it is who adheres to the letter of the law 
and misses the point of the spirit of the law. It seemed good this morning to hear a part of Psalm 119. Do you imagine if we had to sing that one? You know, the Psalms is a hymn book. And we're going to say, right, we're going to sing number 119. There are just a hundred and something verses to it, but we'll all join in and sing this hymn. And this hymn is devoted in its entirety to the law of the Lord. It's a celebration of God's law. You probably know, but in case you don't, it's an acrostic poem. An acrostic is one where each line begins with a successive letter of the alphabet. So for us in this country, it will be a 26-line poem, A, B, C, and so on. Psalm 119 takes that on to the next level. And there's 24 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 24 chunks to that poem, each of eight lines long. So each of the eight lines, and it begins with the same letter. So there's eight letter, eight beginning with A, eight beginning with C, B, and so on in the Hebrew letters, which I don't know. But there we go. There is something special about this form as the writer wants to celebrate and delight in God's law. Why? Because they see the law as a source of blessing and understanding and, importantly, of freedom. Part of what we said, we heard says this, I will live in freedom because I try to obey your teachings. What we see is not a slavish list of rules, but a lively engagement with God's teaching in what we now know as the scriptures. And we, of course, have the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Now, there are some parts of the Torah and the other parts of the Old Testament that seem really quite weird to us because they reflect a very different world. If we actually checked whether we had any clothes with mixed fibres, I suspect most of us have, and if we all took them off as the law demands, it could be rather embarrassing. And have you brought your mildewed clothes for me to check recently? I don't think so. One of the few things I don't get, thankfully, is people trotting up to me with a bit of mildewed fabric for me to check out. Or could you just check the mildew in my bathroom to see if it's the spreading kind or not the spreading kind? Some of the rules of the Old Testament we don't use anymore. They're not part of our culture. There are even parts of the New Testament that override parts of the Old Testament, and we'll be looking a little bit at that next week. And there are parts of the New Testament that we now believe reflect a first century culture, not a culture of the 21st century. And we have to work with what that then means for us in our Christian lives and our discipleship. And yet underneath all of it, the bits that we say, absolutely, that's for all time, and the bits we say, not quite so sure about that, there are some principles that remain the same for all time. Principles that we love to quote, like love and humility and justice and mercy. And also principles of accountability and mutuality and interdependence. So we miss those a little bit. What does freedom look like in the 21st century? What does it mean to be part of a global village where we actually know that the choices we make have an impact on peasant farmers 
far away across the world or on the atmosphere of the planet or on the potential well-being of our children or their children or their children. What does it mean? What does it mean to have freedom in Christ? What does it mean to live as free people? There aren't any easy answers because the answers are complicated. But that doesn't mean to say we just go, I don't know, and we'll just carry on our own sweet way. Actually, as disciples of Jesus, as people who have the freedom he offers, we have a challenge of working together and with him until that freedom is experienced by all. Our prayers of intercession today have a response. When I say, if the sun shall set us free, could you please join me in saying, we shall be free indeed. So that is, if the sun shall set us free, we shall be free indeed. Let's pray together. Life-giving God, Scripture tells us of your delight in setting people free. Your ancient people from slavery in Egypt and from exile in Babylon and through the cross, all people from evil and death. We pray for the church, the people who are entrusted with spreading the good news throughout the earth, people who struggle and fail, who seek simplistic answers to complex questions, who distort your truth through the lenses of culture and power, who tie ourselves in knots over trivialities and fail to notice the big issues. Set us free to live together with mutual respect, valuing what is good in others' perspectives whilst remaining true to our own values. Give us sufficient security in our own identity to accept and even to celebrate difference. If the sun shall set us free, we shall be free indeed. Life-affirming God, History tells us how your people have worked to bring freedom for others. We call to mind names such as William Wilberforce, Elizabeth Fry, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Mary Slessor, Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa. We are grateful for their work. Yet there are still countless people ensnared by violence, injustice, poverty and disease. Names of faraway places flash across our television screens and are forgotten. Yet you never forget any of the precious, vulnerable lives that they represent. As best we are able... We pray for those who give of their energies to work for change. 
that they will achieve the liberation they seek. If the Son shall set us free, we shall be free indeed. Life-renewing God. Experience tells us of our own need for freedom. There are so many things that ensnare us, restricting our growth and hampering our lives. We need to be released from past hurts, grievances and grudges. We need to be set free from the chains of addiction to activity, to success, to popularity, to eating, to image, to possessing. We need to be set free from our expectations, our insecurities and the projections of our own emotions onto others. In the silence, we open ourselves to your gentle touch, loosening the shackles of our past or of our own making. If the sun shall set us free, we shall be free indeed. Life restoring God. Your touch can bring wholeness in place of disease, life in place of death, hope in place of fear, love in place of hate. We bring to you now those known to us who are sick in body, mind or spirit, asking for your healing. Help us to trust that you will heal, even if we fail to see how. May your presence surround those we have named, and also those we have forgotten to name. If the sun shall set us free, we shall be free indeed. God of perfect freedom, life in abundance, love without fail. Accept our prayers, offered now in the name of your Son, Christ our Lord. Amen.